let's go ahead and, uh, if I can, uh, Itchai, can I pick on you for a second to lead us in a prayer? Yeah, you too. <laughs> Father, Timmy, we pray again. Thank you so very much for this Easter Sunday that we get to be with one another, celebrating the resurrection of your son. God, we ask that you be with Seth this morning, help him to deliver the word in a way that we understand it and can get alive. God, be with us. Amen. All right. This morning, um, so in our classes here on our overview structure, uh, today is the law um, section. And obviously, in about 45 minutes, we're not going to be able to get a law degree <laughs> out of this entire thing. And so what we're going to kind of do is hit more on the one-on-one kind of level of what we're going to be talking about and the philosophy and kind of things that led up to where, um, of what the law is um, central to the code. And so what we're going to say, when I say the code and the covenant, I'm talking about the covenant, the book of the covenant that Moses writes when they come back in Exodus chapter 23. And um, from Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments and all the laws that God had told Moses on Mount Sinai and book, into the book of the covenant. And that's uh, the law that I'm going to be diving into um, for this. Uh, so leading up to this, uh, as we had it, the Israelites, obviously familiar with judgment of some sort, and Exodus 18:13, it came about that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood in front of Moses um, in morning until evening. And the one question you kind of ask, have to ask yourself is, Why? <laughs> Why would people stand around waiting to be judged by Moses and what's the, what's the effort into it? And so um, kind of a little bit of diving into this. It's law, I don't know, it's kind of boring. <laughs> um, you know, if everyone just kind of wants to be like, oh, you're going to go through the fine print. Everyone's getting into this. But when we start looking into this a little bit, um, I think what we'll see is a, a little bit of a transformation of identity developing for the Israelites. And so these Israelites, they're out there, and they're basically, we're, we've got to ask the question, why do they want to be judged? Why are they going before? Well, obviously, in any kind of law or uh, idea, we get into ethics, and we get into ideas that there's a sense of right and wrong. And for these Israelites up to this point, in the biblical sense, uh, we had Adam and Eve, uh, obviously the fall of the of eating the apple. We had Cain and Abel, Cain killing Abel. Um, the destruction of the earth through the flood and Noah and the people were so evil that God sent the waters and flooded the earth. The, oh, there we go. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah as an example. Um, here's uh, Joseph being sold by his brothers uh, into slavery, which led us into Egypt in the first place, and then the Israelites themselves directly seeing slavery and seeing oppression on themselves, this exact generation that we're talking about. Uh, and also, in another sense, too, uh, oh, sorry, uh, I guess leading up to this, kind of a trivial question, If you, and I know some people are just going to know it right away. 
But how long were the Israelites in Egypt when Joseph, when they came down? How long were the Israelites in Egypt before they were um, crossed out? Or they crossed the Red Sea? Does anyone remember how many years they were there? Yeah, it was well, almost. Uh, in Genesis, it tells us that that was going to be the clue that they would be there for 400 years, is what God told Abraham. And then they were there for 430 years. And so in 430 years, you know, as a country that we've been, we're not, we haven't been a country for 400 years here in the United States. And so we're still, uh, haven't really got to the level that they have experienced in Egypt themselves. But one of the things I'm kind of, kind of lay is that they aren't unfamiliar with laws of the Egyptian laws that they had it. And I'm just kind of throwing up, um, I'm going to go into this a little bit, uh, some, a little bit of history I here, but um, um, I'm going to say his name wrong. Porphyry uh, was a theolo- Greek theologian in the third century, and he was basically going, he was an Egyptologist, I guess, in one sense, but he was going through in the third century to see the embalming process of mummification. And in part of that, he was looking at what they were doing. And um, one of the significant things about this, of him being able to do this in the third century, is that hieroglyphics were still in use very rarely up into the uh, 391. Um, and uh, really, that was all lost um, under the Roman Imperial Theosis the first, or I'm going to say that wrong too, the first. Um, and really, they weren't even really later transcribed until 1806 um, by a Frenchman, Jean-Francois Champion. Uh, and he actually wrote his first, he was an Egyptologist in France. He wrote his first uh, paper on decoding hieroglyphics when he was 16 years old. It's kind of an interesting individual. He actually didn't really live very long either. Um, but um, the significance of why I wanted to say that is that during while hieroglyphics are still understood a little bit in the third century, Porphyry's uh, assumption, of, or not assumption, but what he was understanding from those that could read hieroglyphs at the time was that these were kind of the how he viewed the Egyptian laws of honoring your gods, honoring your father and mother, do not kill, do not steal, uh, do not do other wrongs. And then um, later with the um, transcription, the, you might hear something of the fortitude ideals of Ma, uh, which is what's been later transcribed um, with the hieroglyphics in today's and the those are kind of a lot of uh, characteristics, things that they'll, you'll see in there. But just kind of mention that. But anyway, with these ideas of society laws that Egypt had, now the Israelites are basically in a position where something is different. Something is happening. And passing through the Red Sea, them being in a society governed in Egyptian laws, and then now getting passed out of that society, going through the Red Sea, something's obviously different. Uh, you don't pass through the sea very often. And then out in the desert, you don't get manna and quail um, and water from a rock very often. And then now they're sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God's speaking to them um, with loud lightning and thunder, and the law is being handed down to them. And so the first part of the law is what we're going to talk about is the Ten Commandments. And in the covenant of the code, the thing to distinguish here, too, is that the Ten Commandments are the only things that God directly says to the people. So if we read into um, Exodus chapter 20, 
the Ten Commandments are laid are told in the presence of all the people, and the people basically are so fearful and trembling that they ask Moses to go get the word and bring it back as their representative. So the in the covenant, the um, book of the covenant that Moses writes down, the Ten Commandments are the only part of it that the Israelites are told directly. However, um, what I want to point out here in oh sorry, I guess. Uh, um, laying this out is that in the Ten Commandments of the hearing, the Egyptian culture, they obviously have some parallel to have some level of comprehension. I think that's why law is so boring for us sometimes because we don't know always the backstory to like that commandment or that specific thing that we're trying to, that rule that we have to follow. We don't always know the background. But in this instance, a lot of these commandments would not have been totally foreign to them uh, obviously, I have no other gods before me, and the, and the Egyptians honor the gods. Now, obviously, the, the first commandment is the biggest distinction because rather than following any, any gods, lowercase g, God's standing, I am the Lord. You know, he, he is the Lord. He is the um, Yahweh. Actually, even to be the point, I am, he's basically describing himself as I am who I am. And not even giving himself a label because he's even higher than any label that could be placed on God. And um, God, obviously, knowing us, if we put a label on something, it's easy for us to categorize that out of something. And so, anyway, that's the first thing that is commanded to them is have no other gods before me. And then later you see um, honor your father and mother, which they would understand quickly, do not murder. Um, they had do not kill, um, uh, thou shalt not steal, uh, do other, no other wrongs. So these Egyptian type of uh, societal laws would not have been totally foreign for them to comprehend in just telling them the Ten Commandments of what was going on. Uh, am I going to... Oh, so the getting into the first group discussion, kind of what I'm talking about on that concept of not having God, God telling us things, but not them, the idea of being completely foreign to us. The question I wanted to ask for ourselves is in that transformation, do we, from accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then having that transformation to something, is our past something that is to be forgotten or to be remembered in our new life? Good. Remember what we came here to appreciate. Yeah, Nicole. Mm-hmm. You can relate to people to help them understand. That's absolutely. I'm going to throw up a few things, um, but actually both ways. Uh, it's good to remember, and we should remember who we are. And it seems like there's always a period of reconciliation that's difficult. Like sometimes we want to say reconciliation happens in about five seconds, <laughs> and it doesn't. <laughs> you know, there's a matter of our turn. We turn very quickly. Like we're going to turn, and we commit ourselves to Christ, and we have a turning point of of lowering ourselves in baptism and being raised anew, that happened in our turn and our focus changes very quickly. 
but then we're continually growing beyond that point. And so what I, and kind of the growth curve a little bit of reconciliation, there's kind of two, there's kind of where are you at? Where are you at in this reconciliation? Sometimes we need to move on. We need to not get bogged down by those things and we need to be able to turn ourselves anew. So some, there's kind of a point where we're, we're not totally forgotten, but you know, we just, right now we just can't talk about it. Right now we need to, we need some space. We need some things. So there's kind of a period in that. Um, you know, too painful for us to recover from right now. And then Jesus interceding for our sins and the continual understanding of what that means. And it's not something, it, you know, Jeff always kind of tells the words deeper than that. The words deep, you know, we always want to make things superficial quite, quite easily to categorize things. But well, there's so many, there's seriously deep things that we don't necessarily talk about all the time, but Jesus is interceding for us to turn another direction. But there's going to be a growing pattern and there's going to be a, a phase where it's like, okay, we need to separate ourselves out of these situations, but we also need to have, once we reach a, a, a kind of a point where we understand what Jesus is doing for us and we have that reliance on Jesus and remember where we came from, that's a, that's, that's a continual process that we're always working on. And then, like Nicole said, helping over to overcome, uh, oh, there we go, um, and being transformed into a new creation. And so I, I want to make that kind of a, a, a strong point that we're continually turning ourselves towards the Lord, having, you know, put, uh, having no other gods before the Lord and following the Lord first. That, that, that focus shift um, for us is something that we continually keep having to turn towards. But recognizing this idea that we're all growing and not having the expectation that we're going to be perfect in every sense. But that's kind of the, the transformation from a sinful past to, to, where, we're at, to where we're at today. Uh, diving into the Ten Commandments, I'm going to kind of move, because uh, Ten Commandments are not the only part of the covenant, <laughs> Book of the Covenant. But uh, here's the Ten Commandments as we see them in Exodus. Uh, if, interestingly, there are, there's an... Exodus chapter 20, and then also in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, it's interesting, most of the Anglican and um, Protestant type uh, folks, we kind of look at the Ten Commandments from the Exodus point of view, and then the Catholicism and Lutherism kind of view it in the Deuteronomy. I'm just saying this for anyone who's a nerd in the room. <laughs> um, they follow it from the Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the only difference really between the two on how they describe how they get to the ten is that in the Exodus version, uh, we kind of look at the God, um, no other gods before God and make no idols. We kind of separate those into two. In uh, the Deuteronomy side, they kind of break in the, the having no other gods before me is like a preamble. And then they kind of break out the tenth one between uh, do not cover your neighbor's house and do not cover your neighbor's wife, and they break those into two. That's kind of the difference between um, the Ten Commandments. So if you ever go into Catholicism and you see, wait, those, those Ten Commandments look different, that is why, <laughs> the, the difference that you might see. But kind of going into the gist of overall the Ten Commandments, Jesus pretty much summed these up uh, really well for us in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus replied, they asked him, which is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
So that one right there, when Jesus lays that out, he just laid out the first four commandments <laughs> of the Ten Commandments. Having no other gods before me, make no idols, do not miss your name, use the name of the Lord, and remember the Sabbath day. Um, the Sabbath day is a transition thing, to, but we'll get into that later. But basically, that's what Jesus, Jesus has just summed up the focus of the Ten Commandments initially. Then in chapter 20, uh, next verse, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. That second commandment just covered five through ten. <laughs> honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not covet your neighbor's house. All those commandments reside in loving your neighbor. And so when Jesus came to um, fulfill the law, he basically is breaking it, keeping it simple. And we, everything is like so, we make things so complicated sometimes. And so Jesus is coming and saying, look, here is what, love your God, love the God, your Lord, with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself. You follow those two things, everything else makes sense. And so I guess before I make it, like, go on to it, law, when we study law, there's always a purpose for why a law is written. There's a reason why something's happening. And it's when we don't understand the reasoning why something happenings is where things get complicated. And what Jesus is doing is he's returning us back to what the Lord is commanding them to do. All God wants is to be reconciled with his people. And God is laying these commandments out for the people, for the people, so they can be reconciled back with God. Um, diving in a little bit more into a couple of the Ten Commandments that, I'm gonna, that are going to be definition of what the commandments are doing. Remember the Sabbath day. Uh... There's two in Exodus. The reasonings for this is that for in the six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and be rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And if we go to Deuteronomy, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And so, um, uh, in the Exodus version, we see the creation tie to the Sabbath day. In the Deuteronomy version, we see the Exodus out of, out of, out of Egypt tied to the Sabbath day. And so, um, and Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath, uh, when they questioned him on why he was <laughs> healing on the Sabbath. Um, but that the the, re, uh, the reason behind what we're remembering the Sabbath day corresponds to everything that God is doing, who God is, um, cre- creating the world and creating everything we have in it. And then also the remembrance of where we came from, remembering how we transformed from one place to another, uh, and the um, on setting that setting the Sabbath day as a holy day, uh, and then obviously the uh, how we should treat each other. And there's one a little aspect in here in how we should treat each other and the um, loving your neighbor that I want to get into. That's going to kind of be a defining thing is the number six, and it says. Shall not thou shall not murder? 
Um, and I'm going to kind of just say this because I'm not a Hebrew. I don't speak Hebrew, and I'm not in, uh, really up to that. And this is probably the only Hebrew word I'm going to bring out in the class. <laughs> um, but rasa is the Hebrew word that is used here for murder. And this is kind of in the sense of murder and not in the sense of combat, execution, and animal slaughter. And the reason I'm only reason that I'm bringing this up, and when we look at the idea of murder, it, of thou shalt not murder, is that he, thou shalt not tear down the societal structure of what's happening. So, like when we're, when someone is murdered and you're taking away a father, you're taking away um, uh, a family member, or you're disrupting um, a household of some sort. The that's the sense of murder. And so what is why I'm bringing this up because we're going to get into a little bit and the covenant also talks about the promised land and going and conquering the um, Canaan and the promised land. That's a distinction that we need to have that when we read this word in the Ten Commandments, there's no conflict between, you know, this idea that they're going and murdering all these people. It's that no, what God is doing is he's making sure that his people are intact and that there's the structures in place when this commandment is given, thou shalt not murder. So just a little preamble. So Covenant 101, um, basically three types of uh, laws that are laid out. And I'm just going to go into the, I'm not going to go into every law. We're not going to read through the entire covenant. Otherwise, we would not get out of here (laughs) in time. But the reasoning and the structure behind what's going on here in the Book of the Covenant, I'm going to break down into a one-on-one class. Um, it's three types of laws. There's ritual laws, which that we should things that we should do in order to honor God, and those are the uh, those are the ritual laws we call the criminal laws, where um, obviously you uh, commit a crime against someone that you'll be harmed in some way, you'll be killed. Um, the, the criminal laws aspect of it, and then also the society laws. The societal laws are how you should behave, what are things that you should do. And so when we look through the Book of the Covenant, we're going to see these three laws, um, types of laws laid out. But in your mind, if you can kind of break that in, if it helps you, this is just an aid, um, but if it helps you kind of understand the structure of what's going on here, of setting and honoring God um, before all other gods and having no false idols and the ritual laws and then loving your neighbor as yourself and the, um, you know, the criminal laws, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not um, harm other people and then uh, the societal laws and how we should live and how we should get along with each other. Um, oh, there we go. Uh, so examples of the ritual laws um, in Exodus uh, 22 or chapter 20, 22, uh, make an altar of the earth before me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Where I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. And then in the, later in 23, uh, the, oh, that did not come across out very well. Looked much better on my screen at home. Um, is the three feasts celebrate the festival of the unleavened bread for seven days eat bread without yeast as I command you do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv for in that month you came out of Egypt to remember where they came from um, the feast of the harvest festival of the harvest uh, which the first fruits of your crops so give me your firstborn sons give me your first fruits but this these are the three festivals that are um, 
uh, in the Book of the Covenant. Uh, so the first, first, festival of the harvest um, and your first fruits of your crops of when you harvest your crops. And then at the end, celebrate the festival of the end gathering at the end of the year and when you gather your crops from the field. And in what looking at these um, ritual laws, basically God is saying, give me your best. Give me, uh, remember where I brought you out of and where I came from, but give me your first fruits. Give me your best of what you have. And then when it's all said and done, remember me as well. God encompassed. We're, our, our time on the earth is so short, less than 100 years most likely for the majority of us. And the things that we're talking about, when we throw these dates out, you know, we're talking thousands of years <laughs> that we're expanding here in just the, um, of what we're talking about. And God basically is saying here, celebrate, celebrate um, being a part of who God is. And so in these ritual laws, uh, criminal laws, such as examples, anyone who can, can, kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Um, obviously, kidnapping, I'm kind of bringing this in, uh, pointing one of these out, because you're disrupting a family structure, you're disrupting uh, societal of how the Israelites ought to live. Um, so you're stealing a um, person out of someone's household. Um, if people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. And so these criminal laws are pretty much bringing in the idea of justice that you reap what you sow. If you harm someone, it's going to be done back to you. This idea that there's repercussions um, for the things that you do, there's repercussions back to you on um, having justice set. Uh, And then examples in the societal law is um, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Um, If you do, I'll cry out for me. I'll certainly hear the cry. My anger be aroused, and I will kill you with a sword. And then your wives will become widows, and your children will be fatherless. Um, Could be criminal or societal, but basically telling people, hey, do what's right. Take care of the um, people that need help and help out where you can um, or help them. And then um, in Exodus 22, and what we're kind of getting into the laws is, you are to be my holy people, so do not eat meat of an animal torn by a wild beast and throw it to the dogs. And this, this societal law is basically set yourselves apart. You're better than this. You're not to just take, some, take yourselves and just cast or just you know, throw yourselves down as one of the dogs and eat rant, like wild torn beasts off the road. Um, that's kind of hypocritical for me because I have processed roadkill. So. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry throwing that out. But, um, but no, what, what he's saying is like, don't waste this away. Don't, don't take what our, the society and cast it um, to beneath yourselves. I don't know if the other one's going to come up. Um, do not follow the crowd in do, uh, doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by sli- siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Um, 
another example of a societal law of basically do what's right. Don't allow public or peer pressure to influence your decision. It's looking back at, look at the situation as a whole. And, and the, I kind of made sure I put in the last one, don't show, show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit, is hold the law and what God's covenants are saying first and don't just be swayed. Don't, don't allow yourself to be swayed by what you think is right, uh, like what, what, um, what would be kind of tearing yourself away from the law to give a misjudgment against someone else. And so it's always holding to that idea that the law is to be revered uh, above all else. Um, so, um, and so in the, in the group discussion, I kind of ran through, that was a lot of information, <laughs> about 10 minutes. Um, but within the, in the idea of the covenant and these laws, there's a thing that's forming for the Israelites. The things that is forming is a sense of identity. And like everyone we know, if we all got in this room and we started talking about how we think, think things are ought to be, there's going to be varying opinions on that. And so the question I want to throw out, you know, some of these things that I, that I was kind of laying out with uh, ritual laws, the uh, criminal laws, and the societal laws, I know those were kind of brought out very quickly. Um, but... What are your feelings or how do you guys think about laws relating to the identity of a community? As laws are formed, how does that, how does, how, instead of calling things laws, what if we called it, what's our identity? Does anyone have any thoughts on that idea? Mm-hmm. That's immutable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what community you're in, that stands. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not, um, and it seems to me the second part also is stands, but social things might be different. For instance, in um, at least that used to be, I don't know if it's true anymore. <laughs> Singapore, it's against the law to chew gum as you're walking down the street. Mm. And some other countries do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, that's in the penal code. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, to me, those kinds of things would maybe help identify the community. Mm-hmm. The other ones seem to be, especially things related to what God has said, are immutable. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether or not the community follows them is a different deal. But you were asking about the uh, penal code. No, that's exactly. No, that's great. Um, because, yeah, what, I mean, for Singapore chewing gum, that society has chosen that course that as a society we're not going to chew gum <laughs> very seriously. <laughs> but that society still had yet to chose that decision to, well, well, that could be debatable on certain senses, but that is a, I, that's something that stands in their culture. What? 
the government, right? You can see that. <laughs> but, um, but that idea of not going down and chewing gum, that's, that's something, that's a, that, 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 that reputation of that specific law definitely affects the identity of their community. That's like, that's not a gum chewing community. <laughs> so that, you know, that kind of relates back into these laws. I mean, the first one for us is really, it's hard, it's almost foreign for us to kind of grasp, but maybe not. The, the first law of God is to be before all other gods. That right there, that first law separates them from their Egyptian past. That law right there starts to form their identity that they're only going to follow the Lord. And that's the first basis of the, the book of the covenant of what these people are agreeing to do. Whatever the Lord says we will do, they said three times as we went over last week. But go ahead. One aspect of this that I got thinking about is uh, on, a, on a small scale, um, you know, what, what, uh, how do laws relate to the identity of the family? Mm-hmm. You know, in a very small concept or a small uh, area like that, we can, we can look at it and we can see some of the impact. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, as our kids were growing up, then um, we looked forward to the opportunities to show them you are different than your friends. Right. You are not going to watch the same TV program right. they watch. Yeah. Uh, you are not going to do the same things. You are not going to make the same priorities mm-hmm. because you are being raised in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, taking advantage of the opportunity to clearly teach and communicate to them that uh, because we are Christians, we are not going to live like your other friends. Mm-hmm. And using the excuse that, well, my friend across the street watched The Simpsons. Uh-huh. That does not mean we do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was an early battle. <laughs> I think I used the same line on my parents. <laughs> but then expanding that, and God certainly applies that from the standpoint that you will not intermarry right. with other, other nations. Right. And as Vanna pointed out, whether they obeyed that or not, that's a whole different story. Right. But that was God's intent, and there was a real good reason for it. Right. Yeah. Oh, Carrie. You know, Seth, I think one thing we tend to overlook in the law, mm-hmm. especially these laws, is they, they not only tell us how we are to treat God and how we are to treat one another, but they tell us what God is like. Mm-hmm. And they tell the character. us what God values. Yeah. And it's like God saying, okay, I've now redeemed you. Now you're going to follow me. Mm-hmm. You need to know who I am. You yeah. need to know what I value. And all of these laws are based upon that. Right. Uh, so it's just a different way of looking yep. at the law. Right. Uh, this is who our God is. This is what he respects, what he values. And as his people, yep. we fall right in line and follow his lead. Yeah, I like that a lot, Kerry, because it, it does look into the characteristics of God and gives the Israelites a deeper understanding on who who God is. Because um, we can't put a name on, you know, we don't, can't categorize God, but this can. Yeah, have. I think that's what probably, kind of makes the Israelites unique in history is even the, you know, the gum-chewing laws, right. carrying those as coming from God. Right? right. Those aren't coming from, oh, we all have agreed this is best for our society or this is what makes us, right. you know, click or work the best. Right. Now, those are lumped right in with the right. Well, actually, this gets. I'm not. Uh, this is kind of a sidetrack, but one of the things that's interesting here is that other the other 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 laws, uh, how the Egyptians kind of viewed it was these are man-made uh, characteristics laws, and the gods are the judge. 
that's how the Israel, the Egyptians kind of viewed their, their code, and you're supposed to live by this code, and the gods will judge you. What's happening here is now God is becoming the legislator. He's the one saying, I am, I am decreeing here are the commandments that you shall follow. And there's a shift from rather than God just simply judging, as they would have understood as the, in the Egyptian culture, now they're seeing that God is, is the legislator of saying, here are the laws that you are to follow. And there's a huge shift. Uh, that's a huge shift for the Israelites to shift from um, being held by laws made by man that God's enforcing, but now God is, is the legislator commanding and develop and saying what the laws are that should be followed. Uh, in the second time, I'm going to kind of go through uh, <laughs> forward. This is, that was great. Uh, just uh, defining, setting apart a lot of what we just discussed. Um, but the other part of the covenant of the code I want to, want to get into the classes here is the promised land. Because inside the um, book of the covenant, the last part we talk about is conquest into the promised land, which ties actually back into the covenant with Abraham. Uh, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, basically on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kizanites, Canaanites, I'm going to butcher some of these, Hittites, Pizarites, uh, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. And then we see this uh, um, fulfill, being fulfilled again into the covenant with, uh, in the book of the covenant. Exodus 23, my angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, uh, Hizzites, Pizarites, Pizarites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will write, wipe them out. And so now we're seeing into it. This is kind of somewhat controversial probably today a little bit when we start thinking about this idea. But I want to get into this. Uh, do not, as they go into the promised land, do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break uh, their sacred stones into pieces. The, worship the Lord your God and his blessing and will be... Uh, and his blessing will be your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in the land. I will give you a full lifespan. Uh, directly for the Israelites, they're wandering in a desert. <laughs> and one of the most dangerous things you got is sickness. And if you, everyone has a chance, I had the opportunity when I was in graduate school to review viral, uh, the impact of viruses through society. And it's really interesting how many things like yellow fever, smallpox, all these different things influence the migration of when you see how people are today, virology, uh, the set, and the viruses and how those um, laid out the land. It's really kind of shocking, more so than man conquering. Um, viruses probably conquered more than uh, any other impact uh, that we could have done. But what God is basically saying, I am going to protect you. As we enter to this promised land, I will take sickness away from you. I will protect you. You guys are going to be fruitful. That's God's promise to these people as they go into the promised land. Uh, do not make covenant with them or their gods. Do not let them live in your land or cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. And I think that kind of speaks for itself, uh, obviously. Um, but the whole idea that we're set apart, we're set apart going into this promised land of um, who God's people are. 
And so uh, he'll send a, he- a hornet ahead of you and drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. Uh, kind of walls of Jericho there. Um, but I will drive them out. I will not drive them out in a single year because the land will be too dumb, too desolate, and the wild animal is too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Um, and I'm going to tie this in just a second, but this little by little and, and conquering into the uh, promised land. Our promised land for ourselves, John 10, the thief comes in only to steal and destroy. Jesus, uh, Jesus is Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that they may um, have life and have it to the full. And then John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And these are our promise, uh, the promises through the gospels that are laid out. And there's plenty more. Um, these are just a couple of them. But also in Romans 5, I want to bring tie, to tie this around. Not only so that um, we also uh, um, glorify in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Um. Uh, not only is this so, um, so uh, the, we also boast in God through Jesus Christ, through him who we have now reconciliation. I, I kind of jumped ahead on that one, but this idea of the, 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 when I was talking about them entering the promised land, basically that he's going to do it little by little by little. If you just give every, if you just open the fire hose and just start washing away them, this, you can't drink out of a fire hose. <laughs> you know, he, he, he's, I, this idea that we have a turning point. We're turning towards God. He's entering the promised land little by little. This is going to take a long time. Moses himself didn't even enter the promised land. It was passed on to Joshua. Then the, Canaan, the Israelites went into the promised land. And then so in Romans 5, when we're talking about our promised land and turning, we baptize, we become baptized and we commit ourselves to Jesus, this, this idea of us entering the promised land is no different than what the Exodus, uh, Israelites had to go through as well. But little by little, we're going to continually be growing more deeper and deeper into Jesus. And this uh, promise that we have here of persevering, and that perseverance, based, uh, well, the suf- persevering through suffering, but having that suffering and that sinful past that we hit, the perseverance that we have to commit ourselves to God, continually committing ourselves, and that perseverance of fighting through that develops the character and the identity that we have in Jesus, and then that identity in Jesus is the ultimate hope that we talk about. And so um, I think I kind of put in uh, for the last discussion, we have four minutes, I think, (laughs) Um, but kind of the question to lay out, and then you, we can discuss a little bit here, but discussing fourth in the week is where is your promised land to be conquered? And I say that in a sense, not eternal life, this and that, but this idea that we're, we, we are suffering and we're persevering through things in our life right now. And what are those things for ourselves? And that's, this is an answer question that we, we didn't answer deeply ourselves, but if anyone's willing to share too. Um, but... What are these things in our life that we need to overcome right now on April 21st, 2019, 
of where we're at and what are we trying to reconcile because the ultimate thing that we're persevering and we're having hope is to be reconciled with God. And so what are those things that we can be inspired by with all the things the Israelites are doing and forming the identity of that, uh, of that community and conquering into a promised land? How does that translate to us and Jesus fulfilling, love the Lord all your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbor yourself? How does that translate into us right now, right now, going into the promised land that God has for us? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? You just persevere and keep staying the course. Yeah. It seems like the idea of persevering, conquering, and then like what you're talking about, Vanna, through life, you, you know, you're always pursuing, you're always per, uh, persevering on something, but the successes come in waves, I guess. It seems like there's opportunities that are open. Is that what you're trying to say? I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they went ahead and did some of it, but they didn't do all of it. Mm-hmm. And they suffered because of it. Mm-hmm. So, and finally the, the kingdom was split, really, because yeah. of that problem. Yeah. Um, right. We don't want to do that. We want to keep on conquering our, um, you know, the, the Hivites. Right. The Philistines ahead of us, all of those things, all, all the Philistine kinds of things in our lives, we need to keep on working on them and not right. Them and right. And sit and leave them alone. Right. Because they're going to come back at you just like it did for Israel. Right. Right. Well, and I think um, the thought that I just had there is like picking our battles. You know, sometimes I think we pick the wrong battles, we ignore the battles we don't need to fight. And we fight the battles we don't. Well, in doing that, you've ignored something. Exactly. Battles that really aren't battles in the first place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. You've got to recognize what the battles are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, we need to wrap up here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, can I, I, Austin, I'll pick on you since you're the... <laughs> can you... <laughs> 